Welcome to the Wish Well Podcast, a women's integrative summit on health and wellness. A podcast hosted by Dr. Michelle Dang, a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician with additional fellowship training in integrative medicine. This podcast will feature weekly episodes with women from all walks of life discussing their health and wellness journeys. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode. This is number 76, Sleep as Holistic and Patient-Centered with Dr. Valerie Cacho. We are close to the end of this season and I am super excited to wrap everything up. I hope that you all have been enjoying the shift this season with specific topics and I look forward to bringing on a new season but I will be taking a short break to gather everything together, take a little bit of a rest for myself and make the shift for season three. So I really hope that you all stay tuned and continue along with me on this journey. Without further ado, I want to introduce this week's topic and this week's guest, which is all about sleep. And it is something that we don't really spend a lot of time discussing, but it is so important. And so I'm really excited to bring to you Dr. Val on the podcast this week. She and I connected through Instagram, and I noticed that there wasn't a whole lot out there about sleep medicine or sleep hygiene. And so when I saw her post on Instagram, I just thought that I really wanted to bring her on this podcast. She is a board-certified internal medicine and sleep medicine physician. We chat about how she got into the field of sleep medicine to become a sleep expert. She discusses the high prevalence of insomnia, and we chat about sleep hygiene and what it, it exactly means. Her advice to others is to take the time to be still. So you definitely don't want to miss this episode. Please stay tuned and take a listen to it. You can find out more about Dr. Val at her website, which is sleeplifemed.com and her Instagram, which is at valerie.cacho.md. As always, you can read her full bio on our blog, wishwell.health.blog, and you can head over to the show notes at Instagram on um, at wishwell.health. So I hope you all enjoy this episode and I hope you all stay safe, healthy, and Make sure you get your good sleep. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Michelle Dang with the Women's Integrative Summit on Health and Wellness, the Wishwell podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Valerie Cacho, and she goes by Dr. Val. She is a sleep medicine, integrative sleep medicine physician with a focus on women's sleep. And I think it's a wonderful topic to bring on this episode and on this podcast. So welcome, Dr. Val. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thanks so much, Dr. Dang, for inviting me. Very happy to be here. Perfect. So excited to have you here again, as, as we talked about offline, we've mentioned in several episodes how important sleep is to our overall health and wellness, but we haven't had an entire episode um, dedicated to this topic. So we're super excited to have you here discussing this. So why don't you kind of just tell us a little bit about how you got into this field um, and we'll just go from there. 
Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, so throughout medical school, um, pretty early on, and I knew I wanted to be more in the outpatient setting. I really liked uh, clinical medicine, certainly not surgery. <laughs> I know that's always a big decision tree. Are you going to be a surgeon or not? And if you like both, can you become an OB? But for myself, you know, primary care uh, was really interesting. I really liked developing uh, long-term relationships with my patients, um, discussing chronic care and chronic conditions. And we do actually have a family friend. Uh, my father is a physician, and one of his good friends is a sleep physician. And I heard him give a lecture about sleep, and I just thought it was quite interesting. So then I learned more about it. I didn't learn too much about it, you know, during my preclinical years, but I did do rotation in sleep at my um, institution. And then, you know, when I was a resident, I you know, learned more about it. And then I applied for a sleep fellowship after I graduated from internal medicine. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about what a sleep fellowship actually is, because I, I don't know a whole lot about it. I mean, and I'm sure people who aren't in medicine have no idea. Is it, do you watch people sleep? Do you monitor their brain activity? What is it? What is, what exactly is a sleep medicine fellowship? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, thanks for asking. So a sleep medicine fellowship is usually a one or two year fellowship. The second year tends to be a research year. Uh, there's several programs throughout the, the U.S., not as many as some of the other um, winter type fellowships, such as like, geriatrics. Um, however, you know, there are um, an adequate amount of fellowships. I did my fellowship at the Cedars-Sinai program in Los Angeles. Uh, most of our work was done at the Veterans Hospital, so I took care of a lot of um, adult men. Certainly, there are women as well. During that year fellowship, I learned a lot about um, performing sleep studies, uh, the in-lab sleep studies of polysonography. We also did a lot of home sleep studies because our in-lab was pretty small. There was only two beds. So we learned how to run sleep studies, how to interpret sleep studies, and mainly that looks for obstructive sleep apnea, but certainly there are some movements um, that can happen at night, such as periodic limb movement disorder, or REM behavior disorder. So the in-lab sleep study does have a lot of different sensors. We look at um, the brain waves, we look at the breathing pattern, we look at the respiratory rate, um, there's um, EMG sensors that we also monitor and then video. So those are actually run by sleep technicians. Um, they run the study, obtain the data, and then we interpret the study and come up with a diagnosis and plan. Um, you know, most of what sleep fellowship is, is you know, diagnosing and treating obstructive sleep apnea, but certainly there are folks who have insomnia as well. Um, another interesting condition is narcolepsy. That happens in about one in 2,000 people here in the U.S., and that's a condition where people are sleepy all the time. Um, there are some other um, rare conditions like parasomnias, like sleepwalking, sleep talking, sleep eating disorders that um, we also learn about. Since uh, the bulk of my training was at the VA, we didn't do a lot of pediatric sleep. Um, there was a couple weeks where we were at the uh, county hospital at Silmar through UCLA, and we did see some children there. Generally, for kids who have sleep apnea, it's, it's due to enlarged tonsils or adenoids, and usually, you know, surgery um, improves their sleep apnea. Um, but sometimes these kids are a little bit overweight, and so, um, you know, they do need to be on CPAP machines. So, yeah, a bulk of a fellowship was diagnosing and treating sleep apnea, but certainly we did learn about insomnia and narcolepsy, restless egg syndrome, and some of the other movement disorders that occur while sleeping. 
Great, such a great overview of your fellowship. And I have so many questions about sleep and I don't even know where to start at this point. Um, I know personally as a pain management physician, I see a lot of patients who have what I call kind of secondary pain related to not sleeping enough and undiagnosed sleep, uh, obstructive sleep apnea, which can contribute and worsen their pain. But tell us a little bit about what exactly, why is sleep so important? I know it's kind of a, a broad, broad question, but um, just kind of mm -hmm. to give our listeners an idea of why we stress sleep. Yeah, so you know, this is one of my favorite questions because the thing about sleep, sleep is so foundational to overall health, you know, just as much as breathing, good diet, exercise, stress reduction. Um, and, you know, I think just here, at least in the U.S., we don't prioritize sleep as much. You know, some of the sayings are, you know, we'll sleep when we're tired or, well, I'm sorry, we'll sleep when we're retired or, you know, I'll catch up and sleep when I'm dead. But really, you know, I suggest that, you know, we should all make sleep a priority. Sleep. <laughs> Why? Well, because going from head to toe, talking's right with our brain, right? It helps yeah. consolidate our memories, helps us learn better, make better um, decisions. During sleep is when our brain toxins, actually there's toxins that get built up throughout the day and our brain actually cleans it out. There's uh, some, uh, a system called the glymphatic system where our brain is actually cleaning ourselves out. Um, you know, going further down, uh, you know, it's important that we get enough oxygen, right? If we have obstructive sleep mm -hmm. apnea, you know, all the organs in your body need oxygen. So if you mm -hmm. have an issue where you're your, the, your tongue falling, falls back and closes off your airway or the muscles in the neck relax and you're not get, you don't get enough oxygen, right? Then your brain's affected, you know, your heart's affected, you have increased risk for a heart attack, stroke. You, if, you know, if you don't have enough oxygen, you have higher pressures, you can have pulmonary hypertension, right? You mentioned pain when we we're not rested enough, our nervous system is a little bit more hyperactive. Um, additionally, you know, um, hormones are really important during sleep, especially things like growth hormone, insulin, ghrelin, and leptin. So, you know, metabolism affected. They've done some research in college kids where they actually slept deprived them. They notice when, right, you don't sleep enough, you know, hormones like ghrelin that make you want to eat more go up and leptin, the hormone that makes you want to um, feel full or, you know, suppresses your appetite goes down. So, you know, we do tend to eat more sort of sugary, um, unhealthy, high carbohydrate foods, which in turn, right, can cause, you know, weight gain, can lead to things like diabetes and sleep apnea. Um, we know that if you don't get enough sleep, it affects our immune system. So sometimes when people get a cold, you know, I always ask them, you know, maybe you're not getting enough rest, maybe you're too stressed out, and it's your body's way of telling you to slow down. There have been research where, um, you know, prior to receiving the flu vaccine, you know, people were told to sleep less than seven hours or more than seven hours. I noticed those who slept longer actually were more, uh, their immune systems were stronger and less likely um, to actually get contacted with the flu after, um, you know, getting an ample amount of sleep. So really important for um, um, you know, times like this. And then mm -hmm. it's really, really important for overall health and wellness, right? You know, um, you know, I didn't speak about, you know, the mental health mental health, mental aspects of sleep, right? You know, I know for myself personally, when I don't get enough sleep, sometimes my mood is one of the first things to go and you can yes. be a lot more irritable um, and angry. And it's just like, oh, you just need to take a nap. I have a young <laughs> daughter and uh, on the weekend, it's really hard for her to, to sleep. And I'm like, okay, you got to go lie down and, you know, at least have some quiet time and sleep. And she goes, mommy, but I'm happy <laughs> because she knows that, you know, when she doesn't sleep, she gets really irritable. And she's like, I'm already happy. I don't need to sleep. And I'm like, well, that's okay, the first that's thing we ask our 12 year old when he's grumpy is did you get enough sleep last night and we have actually a watch that tracks his sleep oh, wow. so that's 
The first thing that I do oh, is check to see. Yep. Yep. And it's always, always when wow. he doesn't get, get enough sleep that he's super grumpy, grouchy attitude and all that stuff. So, so yes, definitely related wow. to the mood. Oh, that is very cool. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's a marker, right. You know, of overall health and wellness. So whether it be your immune system, your mood, maybe your cardiovascular system, sometimes I see patients and their blood pressures, you know, really high and, you know, I ask them how much they slept last night. Oh yeah. I, you know, I got about five, six hours. I was worried about this visit. And then I came in, I drank coffee and I, I was rushing mm-hmm. and I forgot to take my blood pressure medication. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> the list can continue. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting, right. You know, um, Sometimes just the way that we, we operate, right? People have a hard time sleeping, so they take hypnotic agents, you know, sleeping pills, and then, um, right, and it's really more stress-related, and then they need a lot of caffeine to get them going in the morning, and then drinking too much caffeine um, can affect, you know, your sleep actually at night. And then also the way we work, right, you know, if we're inside a building a lot, you know, we're not getting maybe as much natural sunlight, and that really can affect our circadian rhythm as well and our energy levels. So, you know, I really like sleep because it, it impacts multiple aspects of someone's life, especially um, like their mind, body, and soul. And I think like, that's what's really important um, as a, a, the healthcare practitioner. I like to take a holistic approach to care and really preventive and um, helping educate women about, you know, how to live more um, healthy lives and, you know, life full of wellness and, and fulfillment. And it's focusing on, you know, through, through the lens of sleep is, um, you know, my mission to do so. So um, kind of a segue, since you mentioned at the very end of this, um, you know, uh, focusing on women. So what what specific Mm -hmm. sleep issues affect women? Yeah, so I like to focus on midlife women. So women, you know, 35, you know, even 30s up to 65 and older. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times, you know, women do have a lot of insomnia during that time, you know. Um, You know, women may be having young children at home, you know, maybe they're taking care of, you know, elderly parents, Uh, maybe they're they're working as well, and they're at, you know, sort of a peak or they're climbing, you know, the the corporate ladder. Um, And so, you know, those social aspects can can affect sleep and um, in terms of sometimes it presents as insomnia. Also, as we get older, right, we go through hormonal changes, you know, we have less estrogen and less progesterone. Um, and that can affect our upper airway. And so women can have higher rates of obstructive sleep apnea as they go through perimenopause and menopause. Actually, the rate is double, you know, if someone prior to menopause, um, you know, there's a 50% risk to having um, sleep apnea after they go through menopause. So sometimes that's the symptoms um, that start. So I just think that that time in a woman's life that, you know, um, it's not, they're not always paid special attention, right? I think when women are pregnant, it's such a happy time, you know, there's you know, great um, obstetrics uh, physician that really supports that. And I think a lot of our culture really supports that. But, you know, it's in the later stages of our lives where I sort of feel like, you know, maybe some of the women are a little bit forgotten. And, you know, as I mentioned, how important sleep is, you know, if I can help support their sleep, then maybe I can help support their overall health and wellness as well. So, yeah, that's why I have a special interest in sort of midlife women's sleep. Yeah, because it, it really um, ties in well with my philosophy of um, providing whole person care. Mm-hmm. 
I think so often we just take our sleep for granted and nobody really talks about, Mm -hmm. you know, how little or how much sleep we're all getting. And so I think it's a very important topic. So what are some tools that you can provide or what are some tools that you provide to your patients who are having difficulty with sleep? Yeah. So, you know, as a trained medical sleep physician, you know, I certainly want to rule out any underlying, um, medical conditions first, right? So certainly obstructive sleep apnea is a really common condition. You know, one in five adults have it, you know, higher, as I mentioned, as women go through uh, perimenopause and menopause. So that's usually, you know, one of my first questions as a screening for obstructive sleep apnea. Um, Another one is taking a look at stress levels and how people deal with stress and also, you know, to see if there's any underlying mental health conditions, depression, anxiety, um, or maybe insomnia. And maybe insomnia is causing depression, anxiety. Um, then also I look at circadian rhythm conditions. So circadian rhythm conditions like delayed sleep phase syndrome is really um, something that gets misdiagnosed as insomnia. And what that is is people who are night owls, such as sort of a fancy word for night owls. You know, I've had you know numerous patients over the recent past months who are um, maybe now that because of the pandemic are working from home, they don't have to commute, so they're tending to sleep a little bit later. They're not as strict with their bedtime because their commute is from their bed. To their to their desk, right? And mm-hmm. so you know, you know, normally they'd be able to um, have to sleep a little bit earlier to take that you know half hour, maybe hour commute. But now that you know, maybe they're staying up later or working or going on Netflix and, and watching shows, and they're not as strict with their schedule. So really, what a delayed sleep phase syndrome is is someone who's more prone to sleep after midnight, typically like say between you know two to three or four a.m. This happens actually around puberty. So um, you know, um, as kids, um, you know, go through like middle school, medical, sorry, middle school, high school, and then college. Mm-hmm. College actually, um, they're able to arrange their schedule in a way, right? Because you can pick the timing of your classes. You notice someone's more prone to take um, classes later in the morning or in the afternoon. You know, and they stay up all night. And usually, it's not an issue until they have their their job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know they have to do the eight to eight to five, nine to five job, and that makes it a lot difficult. So, and then sometimes you know people don't really know this. Some primary care doctors don't know and they sort of give them sleeping pills. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas the true treatment is actually, you know, finding out how much light exposure they are getting in the morning because light exposure in the morning um, can actually turn your clock back um, Mm -hmm. to help you sleep earlier at night. Yeah, and then avoiding light at night. I'm sure you, we've all heard that, right? You know, avoid mm-hmm. your screens, avoid your phones, turn on the dark mode, because light at night actually pushes you away from sleep. Yeah, so circadian rhythm issues are pretty common. I'd say maybe 10 to 15% of the population have it, but sometimes people get um, misdiagnosed as, you know, having an insomnia. And the mm-hmm. treatment is actually quite simple. You know, if you have access um, to bright light going outside at least 30 minutes within um, an hour of waking, even up to two hours. If you don't have access to bright light, you know, getting a simple light box and placing it at your desk can actually help reset your clock as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's so easy for somebody to, you know, if they have a sleep problem, they go to the doctor and it's easy to just prescribe a sleeping pill, you know, and sure you can get sleep, right. but is it really good sleep? And so really getting to the underlying issue is what is going to be the most helpful. We hear a lot of people talk yeah, about sleep hygiene. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I, say, I completely agree. Yeah, it's yeah. finding out the root cause. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we hear a lot of people talk about sleep hygiene, and um, I know I've had slides up when I've given talks about sleep hygiene. Can you talk a little bit about what exactly a sleep hygiene is and um, how people can go about finding the, the best sleep hygiene for themselves? Yeah, and that's a really good, um, really good point, right? So um, sometimes I give talks about uh, sleep in general, and I have a couple slides about sleep hygiene, but I, I tend to just sort of rush through them. Mm -hmm. And then one person said, actually, this is really important because, you know, in my mind, it's things that, you know, people should already know. That's right. sort of like the grandmother's medicine, right? You know, drink mm -hmm. enough water, eat your fruits and vegetables, get seven to nine hours of sleep. So, you know, I don't certainly emphasize it enough, but, you know, one of the main parts of sleep hygiene is, you know, you, your bedroom should be cool, dark, and quiet. Um, and also use your bed just for sleep and um, intercourse, right? You know, because when you think about, you know, sleep, we want to create pos a positive experience around that. We want to create a relaxing environment. So, you know, mm -hmm. are you scrolling through Facebook, sort of seeing messages that maybe are exciting or upsetting or watching, you know, the late night news, and that can stimulate your brainwaves to go faster. Because when we take a look at, you know, someone sleeping in the lab with the EEG leads on, you know, what are we looking for? We're looking for our characteristic pattern of when the brainwaves start to slow down. Right. So, you know, in terms of sleep hygiene, you know, what are you doing within the last hour of your day? Right. What's that ritual? And is it helping promote, you know, your brain waves to slow down or are you doing something that's causing your brain waves to speed up? Right. Are you worrying about all the things that you need to do the next day? Right. Um, or, you know, are you having too much light, you know? you know, hitting your retina, causing your melatonin to be um, delayed, right? Um, you know, what are the things that you're doing? Are you taking a, you know, a nice warm bath that helps, um, you know, lower your core body temperature through vasodilation, right? Allowing your body to be more restful. Um, mm -hmm. Or are you checking your emails, right? Are you working until the last possible minute and then, you know, the phone drops on your face and then you're like, all right, I guess it's time to sleep, right? I'm guilty so of that. It's really important. <laughs> yeah, me too. Sometimes we live, right? You know, working yeah. moms, <laughs> we mm -hmm. sort of just go, go, go and, you know, don't have you know, time for ourselves. But it's really important to have those boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. You know? We do it for our kids, right? You know, when our kids are little, right? You know, you have a sort of a bedtime routine, you know, you know, dinner, book, you know, bath, um, sing song, you know, maybe a bottle and then you put them down. But, you know, as life happens, you know, we sort of don't do that for ourselves as adults. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as part of sleep hygiene, we really should incorporate that, you know, have a good wind down ritual. You know, the last hour of your day really should be for you. And if you can't give yourself, you know, the last hour, what about the last half hour? Um, and if that's not even possible, have the last 15 minutes, you know, even five minutes, I think, of just quiet downtime without, you know, your hands on your phone would be quite beneficial, right? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, there's certain breathing exercises that we've learned, right, through the U of A program, like the 478 breathing, right? Mm -hmm. The more you slow down your breath, um, especially um, um, slowing down the exhale and holding your breath, that really does stimulate the parasympathetic response, right, also known as a relaxation response. So really mm -hmm. what I headed that is talking about that sympathetic drive and the parasympathetic drive right you know mm -hmm. it's good that we have that sympathetic 
right drive, right? You know, if a bus is coming at us, right? If we have a deadline, you know, we want to have that adrenaline. We want our heart to be going. We want to be super focused. But at nighttime, right, you know, we really should just work on relaxing. And it's not as easy as flipping a switch, right? You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, putting our computers in sleep mode. You know, I think it more of as a dial, right? You know, let's turn down that stress response and then turn up the relaxation response. And what a lot of what I do is I talk to my patients about is, you know, you know, your brain is a muscle, right? You know, that relaxation response, it's something that's innate, it's natural, we all have it in, in us, um, but we don't exercise it enough, right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole list of different mind-body techniques that I can recommend. You know, a lot of people have ruminating thoughts or, you know, racing thoughts or racing mind, and that's why they can't sleep. And journaling is a really good way, you know, to deal with it, right? Just like all the different computer files that you don't use anymore, what do you do? Well, you, you know, drag it, you put it in the trash can. So I use that same analogy, you know, write down all the things that are bothering you or not even necessarily bothering you, all the things that you're thinking about, and you can crumple it up and throw it in the trash can. Or maybe just get a worry journal and all the things that you're thinking about just write it down because if you you know do that download you empty your mind that practice you know it'll get easier and easier so then you know the thoughts aren't swirling around in your brain before it's time to sleep Mm -hmm. yeah and um, I love those tips definitely I think journaling or finding a place for those thoughts can help not only with insomnia but also any anxiety issues as well I know it's worked personally for me as well Um, So I really love um, all of your recommendations and your thoughts, and I want to ask one final question. Um, We hear a lot about supplements and natural supplements. I love melatonin. I give my 12-year-old melatonin um, during the week when he has school. What um, What are your recommendations in terms of these supplements? Because I know so many people ask about them. Yeah, and that's a really good question. So, right, going back from a physiologic standpoint, what is sleep, right? You know, um, sleep is when our brain waves start to slow down, right? So breathing can do that, as I mentioned, but also supplements can do it, right? You know, um, hypnotic agents work on GABA, and so do some of the supplements. So the GABA actually is when a neurotransmitter helps slow down the brain or helps promote relaxation. Sometimes they work fantastically. Um, sometimes, I, you know, let patients know our brains are so powerful, it can come overcome um, the chemical pathways um, that the supplements or, you know, the sleeping pills are uh, uh, trying to um, um, trying trying to support right. So melatonin is an interesting one. Um, I don't necessarily consider it a supplement. I know it, it's like given as a supplement here in the U.S. because melatonin is actually the hormone of sleep or the hormone of darkness, right? So it's it's really good for um, uh, changing the circadian rhythm, like for jet lag or circadian rhythm conditions. Sometimes it can make people feel sleepy. And then sometimes melatonin is mixed with things like magnesium, hops, chamomile, oral lavender. And those actually have more evidence to support um, uh, making people feel drowsy. Um, With that said, right, you know, finding what works best for you you know um, some people you know really like to drink sleepy time tea and and that's part of their ritual and that helps them relax at night and then you know other people like to journal other people like to dance or you know even knit right Um, Mm -hmm. so it's it's finding that practice that helps slow your mind and slow your body down whether it be supplements whether it be um, you know 
other type of mind-body practices. So I know I think a lot of the way the supplements work is they help they work on GABA to help slow down slow down the brain waves. But certainly, you know, you don't need a supplement, right? You can train your brain um, how to strengthen the parasympathetic um, response. Yeah, and it goes back to just that sleep hygiene and, like you said, finding whatever works for you. So having that ritual yeah. um, and having having that time at, at the end of the day before you go to bed to unwind. So I love that. Um, so we are unfortunately running out of time. It goes by very quickly, but I could probably <laughs> ask you a ton, yeah, I could ask you a ton of questions <laughs> about sleep. I know we have so many more questions, but um, for the listeners who want to find out a little bit more about you and a little bit more about sleep medicine, of course, can you share with us um, how people can reach you? Thanks so much, Dr. Dane. Yes, um, on Instagram, Facebook, um, my handle is sleepphoria. That's S-L-E-E-P-H-O-R-I-A, sleepphoria.health. And I have some tips and uh, things just about women's sleep there. You can connect with me there. And I also have a quick guide if you um, sign up on my website at sleepphoria.health. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Val. It was a pleasure chatting with you. I hope you get good sleep tonight. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Likewise. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wish Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and follow along every week for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our website, wishwell.health.blog. Until next time, I wish you health and I wish you wellness. If you've been following me for a while, you'll know how much I love Legree Fitness. It is a high intense, low impact workout on a machine called a Megaformer. Did you know that you have the opportunity to purchase a home machine called a microformer? If you're interested in finding out a little bit more about the microformer, head on over to legreefitness.com. Or if you're ready to purchase a microformer, go to shopmaximumfitness.com and you can use my coupon code MICHELLEDANGMD to save on your own home fitness machine.